Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. But as we prepare for uh, preaching today, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, we just came out of Christmas and the, just the beauty of the incarnation and that Christ would come, empty himself out, take the life and the likeness of a man, live the life that we would not live, die the death that we could not die, pay the forgiveness that we could not earn, and then offer it freely to us. And today we want to say with Pastor Drew, all glory be to Christ. And so with that, you know, what do we have for today? Well, so I was praying, the Lord said, why don't we prepare our hearts for the year to come? And this was not something that just comes because we have a New Year tradition, but it's something that Israel did. If you look at the book of Psalms, Psalms is a book of prayer. And what they would do is they would every year be encouraged to read out Psalm 1 to the families. If you were a worshiper of Yahweh, if you were a people of God, of Israel, when you were exiled out of the temple and you had nowhere to go worship, you had the Psalms, which would be a guide for your life. And so that's what we're going to look at today, Psalm 1. And before we go there, I want to tell you, I like watching movies, and one of my favorite actors is Tom Hanks. And uh, one of the classic movies he has is called Castaway. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but really the whole plot is about this man who had a life and... He was a pilot, and he was stranded in this island for many years to the point where they thought he was completely gone. He there befriended a volleyball and <laughs> named him Wilson and had a, a whole dialogue with him, and, and it was interesting. But he did receive a package that had the wings of an angel, and that gave him hope that one day uh, maybe his faith kind of hints a little bit at the faith he might have, that one day he might get saved. And he did get saved one day. But when he came back, he found that his old life was all gone. His wife had remarried. His job had completely left him. He was so troubled by the trauma that he went and the abandonment that he couldn't function in society the same anymore. And so all he had was this box that had given him hope. And so he decided to go on a road trip to take and find this box to whoever this box belonged to. And the movie ends where he finds himself at a crossroads. And the crossroads, there's two ways. One leads towards his old life, to struggle, struggle back to his old life. Or one leads to this new life where he could take this package and find what was there for him. And so this is a beautiful picture, I think, of what God bids us to do when we come to Christ. Will you leave your old life behind and follow Jesus to wherever he may go? And follows his new life. And see, that's what Psalm 1 is going to say. Psalm 1 is going to tell us about two ways to live. The way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. And that's what we're going to explore today. Which way shall we take? And what does it look like to walk in the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous? And how can we abide in that in the year to come? So would you read with me starting in verse 1 there in Psalm 1. Would you turn your Bibles to Psalm 1? I'll be reading out of the ESV, and I'll give you a couple minutes to turn your Bible there or turn on your Bible to someone. 
This is Psalm 1. This is the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. This is Psalm 1. And what I want to do next is I want to do three things. Number one is I want to give you some context into the psalm. And what does Psalm 1 have to do with all the other psalms? Why did God give us psalms? Number two is I want to give you three points that this psalm really gives us for how we are to live. And I would say prepare our hearts for 2022. Which point number one would be where is true happiness? What is the meaning of true happiness and how can you attain it? Number two is what does the path of the righteous look like? How to walk it versus the path of the wicked? And then number four is, lastly, where does this path or way lead to and how it all culminates in Christ? So starting out with the context of the Psalms, the Psalms are a prayer book, and it was developed uh, throughout the history of Israel as they were going through kings and prophets and judges and through the uh, uh, exile and, and through being brought out of Exodus. And there were prayers and there were hymns and songs and laments. But when Solomon built a temple, people used to congregate, and the presence of the Lord for the people of Israel was, was to be found there. Well, what happened when the temple was destroyed, and there was no longer a temple to congregate and to enter into the presence of the Lord? Well, then Israel decided to compile their leaders, compile all these prayers, all these uh, inspired words from God into this prayer book, so that it would be a way for the people of God when they were in exile in Babylon to go and enter into the presence of God together. And it's beautiful because the book of Psalms was supposed to be read from beginning to end. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story that tells in Psalm 1 and 2, first in Psalm 1, how you are to kind of bring your heart towards it. And then Psalm 2, it talks about how the nations rage against the Lord, but the Lord laughs. Because he has already predestined and appointed one king who will come and rule over all things. And that's Jesus. And it begins to tell the story of Israel from all the way to King David until the exile. And then to the promised Messiah to come to restore all things. And one beautiful thing that we miss if we don't read it from front to back is that it goes from lament into praise. And that is a pattern for us of how we are to pray, how we are to look at circumstances in our lives. It's, it's okay for us to lament when things are going wrong. And as we lament and come to the Lord in necessity and dependence, it should lead us unto praise. Because we mourn as some that don't have hope. We don't mourn like those that don't have hope. We mourn like those who have hope because Christ has overcome and so Psalm 1 sets our heart towards the new year to come. We've, I mean, personally, we've had a, quite a unique year. There's been loss. 
There's been heartache. There's been unique situations. And, and it has changed the world in many ways. And we, it's okay for us to lament that. But at the end of the day, we should always move towards praise. Because the Lord has promised that he's doing a new thing. And that he will bring waters out of the desert. I love it in Haggai, one of the prophets in chapter 2. As the people of Israel are looking, they come back from the exile. And they're allowed to rebuild the temple. But they build this little temple that is like a shack compared to the temple of Solomon. It's a small t- It's so bad that they start to cry. They're so depressed. They said, the, the former glory of the temple that we had compared to what we have now. Is this where the presence of the Lord is going to dwell? And then the Lord gives the word of the prophet Haggai for the people. And he says three times, be strong. Haggai, be strong, people of Israel. For the Lord your God will bring a new glory. Greater than anything you've ever seen in the temple of Solomon. Into this temple. And you know what that glory was? It was incarnate son of God. Walking in himself. Into that temple. And then ultimately us becoming the temple. Where he would dwell through the Holy Spirit. So I don't care what bad we have experienced. As we lament we should always move to praise. Because though the battles may be lost. The war is won and the victory is secured in Christ. So that's your first encouragement I would give to you is no matter where you're at in life with relationships, with your job situation, with family, with diseases, it's okay to lament, bring your petition to God, but rest in his sovereign decree that he will overcome and he will bring you hope and move on to praise. As Job has said, though he slay me, I will praise his name. And so that's my first encouragement from the context. We should be people who move from lament to praise. And then as we open up the first point, it's in verse 1. is one word that starts off the whole psalm. is the word blessed. It's actually the word in the Hebrew that really means something more than just the favor of God. This word is used 26 times in the Old Testament. And is used in verses like, oh, come and taste that the Lord is good. Blessed is him who finds refuge in the Almighty. There's this meaning, there's a sense of true happiness, of being in that place of true joy and contentment that is found in God. So really what this way can be, this verse can really be translated today is truly happy, truly content is a man. Is a man who, and then it tells us who does certain things. But let me talk a little bit about happiness you know, throughout history, men have tried to understand what is happiness and where does happiness come from. If you look at the time of Israel, for them happiness was to peace, to please every God that they thought would rule the world. Maybe the God of water or the God of uh, the sun to build their crops. And so they would bring sacrifices. They were polytheists. They were trying to peace every God they could. But then Satan got more sophisticated in his ways. And so then people began to think and thinkers rose up. And then they said, well, maybe happiness comes out of just having pleasure. And just doing whatever brings you pleasure. Seek your happiness. Seek whatever makes you happy at the expense of whatever it is. Just go and indulge in pleasure. But that wasn't sustainable. So then they got a little bit more sophisticated. And they said, well, maybe happiness has to do not just with pleasing yourself. 
but maybe also helping others and being a good person. Maybe earning your righteousness. Maybe appeasing your guilt morally and try to be a good person. Help here and there so that you would feel this sense of grandeur or, or pleasure. Well, that doesn't last as well. So then they kept going and then they said, well, maybe let's do some Eastern thinking and really you just need to get rid of your desires. The reason you're not happy is because you want too many things. Maybe you just stop wanting things, you'll be happy. But that doesn't sustain itself either because we weren't created to do that. We were created to want things. We were created to worship. You cannot stop loving your son, your daughter. You cannot stop wanting to love others. And so then, what do they say today? What is happiness today? Well, happiness today, the answer has evolved into two things. Number one is, happiness is whatever you want it to be. Happiness is whatever you think happiness could be for you. And happiness is being tolerant of others. But that is not happiness either. Those are just temporary happiness. It's like me and my son, we like to try new ships when they come out. And I don't know, Lay's and Ruffles started coming out with some really different kind of flavors in the last couple of years. And when they came out with loaded mashed potatoes and chicken wings, we thought we should try that flavor. <laughs> so we went and we bought these chips and... I, I bit into it, and for a second, it tasted kind of like a whole meal, and then it just left me, <laughs> left me really just weird. I, I was just weird after that. I didn't want to eat another one. See, that, that's, that's what the world offers. That's what the council, what we're going to see here, the council of the wicked offers, is temporary illusions of happiness. It's like a brother in the earlier service just brought this illustration to me. It's like cotton candy. When you taste it, it's the sugar, but then it dissolves and goes away. But the true happiness that God is offering here is an eternal, constant happiness and contentment that is founded only in him. And so the first point is this. Blessed is the man means that true joy, contentment, and happiness for our lives is only found in God through Christ Jesus as we seek to obey his word, love his word, and walk after him. That's all you have to do. You want, if, you're, if you're having a hard time in life right now. If you're going this direction. And things are just not working out. You don't find fulfillment. You, you're just feeling like you go up and down in depression. Like, just stop. Turn to God. Surrender your life to him. And follow him. And wherever he takes you. Whether it be dangerous or prosperous. You will find contentment. And true joy. And fulfillment in your life. Nothing else can do it. Jobs, relationships, titles. Those things are good. But they're not good when they become your source of happiness and contentment. Only Christ can do that. So true joy and happiness is found in God through Christ. As we seek to surrender our life. Following him through his word. And then point number two is there's two ways to live life. Many will tell you there's many ways to live life and many philosophies out there, but there really is only two ways to live life. Number one is you live it under the submission of God and his rule in your life through a loving relationship, or you live it under the submission of yourself and whatever you want to do and against God. 
And so we're going to look at those two and what they look like. Starting verse 2 is first what the psalmist would call the path of the wicked. And the word wicked doesn't mean like today someone, I don't know, like out of Helder or something. Like that. It just means someone who just, want, who just doesn't want to follow the Torah, who doesn't want to follow the law of God. So it can, it can be a, a really good moral person, but they are following their own way. And it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what is the path of the wicked? Is this progression. It begins with listening to the counsel of the wicked, listening to the way of the world, listening to that which is against God's way, or maybe may have some of God's word, but it's twisted just enough to make it go against it. And then as you listen to it, then you begin to walk in it. You begin to, you've been flirting with this uh, counsel. You're enticed by it, and then you begin to try it out as you're walking in it. And then before you know it, you're sitting in it. And not only are you sitting in it, but you're also promoting it to others. Maybe secretly or maybe publicly, but that is the way of the wicked. It's to listen to the counsel of, of those who are not from God. I'm bombarded on my phone day and night with the counsel of the world. I have a phone literally that bombards me every day with the counsel of the world. And I'm not saying that all information is bad. What I'm saying is, are we filtering it through the true word of God? And then it says, uh, it says not only do you listen and, and then stand in the way and then sit in it, but then it also talks about how there is this wicked, a sinner, and a scoffer. So it really is talking about how you can go from, from being a person who, who is just uh, maybe open to God to then really just going against God and then finally just really hating the idea of God. For an unbeliever, that is, that is a progression of sin, and it will ultimately lead them towards that. That's what Romans 2 tells us, that God will remove his common grace and hand them over to their depravity. Unless... The gospel is preached to them, and God in his mercy opens their eyes and brings them into repentance to receive salvation. But that is, no one is righteous, no one is good. For us Christians, the truth is that we can lose sight of Christ at times and maybe get enticed by some different counsel. I remember being in seminary, studying next to who was going to be uh, an elite, elite theologian. I mean, the guy, we were in class, and the guy could speak Hebrew and Greek and parse in the moment. And, I mean, he made us all look like we knew nothing. And he went on and got his Ph.D., and he was said to be a great theologian and a great gift to the church for teaching and expositing his word. But then on his last year, he decided to deny Christ. And it's actually one of his biggest combatants. His name is Bert Ehrman. And he has written every book possible to deny the divinity of Christ. And when they asked him why, what was the change? He says, well, I read some things in the Bible and I didn't agree with them. And I wanted to live out those ways in my life. The way in the counsel of the wicked will not come to you just explicitly wrong. It would be hidden with some truth. It will be enticing. So we all got to be on guard, not only of our own hearts, but of our families and of 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, the church is a buttress of the truth. We are to sustain and guard the truth. And we do this with gentleness and love and kindness. The Lord came full of grace, but he also came full of truth. So that's, a, that's the path of the wicked. Is, is he listens to the counsel, he begins to act it out, and then eventually he sits on it. So for us, uh, I would just leave you with this exhortation. Between you and the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to, as the psalmist says, examine my heart, O oh God. Is there places in your life where you may be listening to the counsel of the wicked? Maybe are you already standing in the way of it? Maybe you're sitting in it. Well, the Lord says, come. Ask for forgiveness. My mercies are new every morning. I will restore you, cleanse you, and redeem you. So, don't wait for that. Go to him today. So that's the path of the wicked. And as we go through the scripture, we'll see that what is his outcome? Well, his outcome is, he says in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like a shaft that the wind drives away. We're going to see that the righteous man is compared to a tree planted versus the wicked is compared to a shaft, which a shaft is useless and it's actually just withering away. You know, I came from Michigan. There was so much green out there. I came to El Paso. It was so brown. and <laughs> It was an adjustment. It's beauty and brown too. But, uh, but is this a type of life you want to reflect, not only for yourself, but for those who love you and for those who are seeing you. A dead plant that is disconnected from the source of life, that his lips wither and they just get tossed around by the wind. This was many of us before Christ. We were tossed by every philosophy of man, by everything. The Lord reminds us, if you walk not in my counsel, if you're not in my word, if you're not in a relationship and depending upon me, my love, my nurture, my guidance, my care for you, my power to help you overcome sin, then you will dry out because your strength is limited. I don't want to be this husband for my wife. You like that, Sharon? <laughs> no. Instead, we will see that the man who walks in the counsel of the Lord is a tree planted. It gives stability. And it is it grows, it gives shade and comfort to those around them. It begins to be a source of comfort to those who need them and strength and refuge as they abide in the one and true source of comfort which is Christ. But if that was the end of it, that would be bad enough, but it's not because then later on it says in verse five Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. There's no forgiveness for their sins. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot do anything good that would appease God's holiness for the sins that you have committed against him. You cannot do that. He will, you will not stand, the, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And it says, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Not only do you not have forgiveness if you're in the path of the wicked, but you're also not covered in the righteousness of Christ. And then it says in verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That means that God is involved in the life of those who are his, like a father is with a child. 
But he says in the last verse, but the way of the wicked will perish. Instead of being a father, the Lord is against the way of the wicked. He says, the Lord is against the proud, but he exalts the humble who walk after him. And so that's the first path that if you are there, if this is speaking to your heart, you don't have to keep going that way. All you have to do is stop, turn to God, receive his forgiveness, repent, trust in Christ Jesus, and he will bring you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his son, and you will walk in the path of the righteous. And he will sustain you when you fall, and he will carry you and present you blameless until the day of his second coming. So now let's look at the path of the righteous. What does the path of the righteous look like? Well, it starts there in verse 2. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsels of the wicked, stands his way of sinner, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And then verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. The first thing is that the word blessed and the word delight are tied to each other in the Hebrew. If you don't love God, you cannot love his word. But if you love God, then you love his word because in it you find him. I remember when I first got saved, I never read the Bible and it was the first time I ever read it and when I read it I knew that it was God who was speaking to me and for the first months of my salvation all I wanted to do was just read and read and read and I loved it when it got to the red letters because I said oh this is Jesus later on I learned that everywhere is Jesus (laughs) but there was this love there was this love for this God who saved a sinner like me do we have a love for the word of God I want to ask you a diagnostic question that I ask myself sometimes. If I was to be dropped off in a stranded island like Tom Hanks, and I was given one thing, what would I take? In my engineering mind, I would probably take some tools to build a boat. But that would just show that my priority is my self-sufficiency to save myself. Or maybe I'll take a super expensive cell phone that can call someone to come save me. That would just show that my priority is my life. And those are not bad things in and of themselves. But they are bad when they become number one in our lives. Because what we should ask for is the word of God. If you're there and it's just me stranded and it's the word of God, then I know that I trust the God who is in that word of God who will save the lost. By whichever means he pleases him. Or call me home. As Paul says, for me to die is gain and to live is Christ. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and he will add these things to you. But we are, we are so, sometimes we're so blessed that we forget that it is God who provides his blessings for us. That's why if you want to go on a mission trip and see how people sometimes operate in a different type of faith because they lack the amounts of blessings that we have that really makes us see that our first need is God. When you don't have clean water and your son is dying of thirst, 
all you can do is pray and God provides, it reminds you that everything, every good gift comes from him. Even the water that we turn on every day in our water faucet is a gift from him. So there has to be this delight. You know, I lived in Michigan for 20 years and I am Mexican and one of the things I missed so much was tacos. I used to miss tacos so much and Mexican food. And so when I would fly back to visit my family and every two or three years I would get to eat, they tasted so good. It was just, it was just the best way I can, I can express how we are to ask the Lord to cultivate in us a delight for his word. Delight in the word of the Lord. So we want to ask for that delight in the word of the Lord. And then it says that uh, he meditates on the law day and night. You know, the word meditation has really uh, changed, I guess. His semantic range has really been expanded throughout history. But really what it means here is not to empty yourself out of everything and find inner peace, whatever that means. It really means fill yourself with the living word of God. Fill yourself with the living word. I love what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, just as a cow goes to the pasture, so a man should go to the word of God. Because for a cow to digest the pasture, it had to chew on it for over eight hours. That's the way we should approach the word of God is to digest the word of God. But sometimes we have to fight against the conformity of society. And most studies show that our attention span has gone from 30 to 20 minutes to 5 minutes to 2-minute videos. And it's not bad. Technology is good. It's a gift from the Lord. But, you know, what about those times where you can sit down and really just shoo and meditate on God's word? That's where true blessing and joy comes from. I remember being in a secular workforce and being in intense meetings with, with people and pressure. And sometimes I just needed to step away and say, I'm going to the break room. Nobody bothered me. I'm going to stay there for 15 minutes. And I'm just going to meditate on Psalm 1 or on Psalm 23 or on Colossians 23, work unto the Lord. Because I needed to be filled with the Lord and his word so I can go out and operate by the power of his spirit and not in my flesh. So I'd encourage you this year, set aside some time as you go out in your daily life with your family, with coworkers, with friends and tough or good situations. Go, step aside, fill yourself with God's word. Come before his presence. Let him fill you and then go back out. The delight of the Lord meditates on it day and night. You know, sometimes we can think of the law as something that is restrictive or that can take away our freedom or uh, legalistic. But the reality is that true flourishing comes through boundaries. Uh, I just bought my wife for Christmas this little robot that cleans the house. I highly recommend it. It's a good gift. They like it if you're a man and you don't have to sweep as much. <laughs> they should. They just go around on their own. But you have to give it boundaries or else it starts attacking my cat and going off uh, the house and just, you know, gets destroyed. In the same way, we need boundaries. The Lord created us. He knows what's best for us. 
And we need those boundaries for us to flourish. Nobody wants to go have a bad marriage because of infidelity. Nobody wants to go to prison because of robbery. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome, says the Lord. They're good for us. The problem is that we have a flesh and a sin that is still in us, as John says, that is always constantly against it. And so we cannot overcome sin on our own. Only God can, so we have to come to him in dependence for his power to give us victory on a daily day basis. And that comes as we come to his word and live out of his word. He said, a man cannot live on bread alone. You must live out of the word of God. You cannot live on yesterday's bread. You have to live on everyday bread. So delight in the word of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. And so what, is that, what does that produce in our lives? Well, verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. This is what the Lord picks up in John 14. When he says, abide in me. For I am the, bran- I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A man who knows God, who has received his salvation and who abides in him, is a man who is connected to the source and produces fruit. But is planted. So in comparison to the men in the withering away, this man is planted. He's stable. This woman is planted and stable. There's living water flowing in her life, in his life. And though they may fail, God sustains and restores and convicts and brings us back to him. Because he says that those who he have were given to him, he will hold them and no one will snatch them from his hand. As the psalmist says, though my feet may fail, the love of the Lord sustains me. And so we, we bring stability to our life. Not only stability, but we also are bring the real source of godliness. There's a lot of people out there who profess a form of godliness but deny its power. And in the day of judgment, it will be disclosed. The works that you did, did you did them for Christ or did you do them for something else? And whatever is done for Christ will last. Whatever is not will be burned in the fire as you walk. By God's grace, we're still walking into salvation and it will be amazing to be in eternity with the Lord. But there will be some who would have bigger rewards. And all of that just to bring him to the Lord to reflect his glory even more. So he's like a planted us by streams of water. And then he yields his fruit in the season. You begin to learn as you mature in Christ, you begin to learn what season of life the Lord has for you. Most of the problems I've ever run into in my life is because I've tried to live in a season that's ahead of where I'm at. Maybe I've been wanting to do something that the Lord says, you're not ready for yet. Please be faithful first with this, and then I will bring you there. And so I encourage you in this new year, spend some time with the Lord, reflect, ask him, pray with him, and say, Lord, what season of life am I in? Am I in a season to go to war? Am I in a season to rest? Am I in a season for healing? Am I in a season for putting my hands to the plow? The Lord will show you. And then be patient. Because it is not you who, be- who bears the fruit. It is the Lord. He says he will, be- he will bear his fruit in his season. The Lord has appointed every season under man. And so at his time, he will bear the fruit. There was many times when I was uh, in seminary that I was like, Lord, when am I going to start preaching? I'm ready. I already know how to do this, that, and that. The Lord said, well, i got to work on your marriage first. 
Learn to be patient. Learn to be patient. The Lord knows the right timing. And then lastly, he says, and his leaf does not wither. His leaf does not wither. Just as we read from Luke 6, 46-49, when the trials come, what is your foundation built on? If it's built on the word of God, it will sustain you. If it's built on something else, it will expose you and it will wash it away. The same thing for the man who walks in the path of righteousness. As he's abiding in Christ, when the trials come, when they squeeze you, what comes out? The hope is that Christ and the hope and the goodness and the faith of him who's at work in your life will come through. And then it says, in all that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean that everything you will do will turn out right. But it will, what it means is that everything you do as you abide in Christ will turn out the way he wanted it for his glory. Just as Joseph was thrown into a hole, sold to slaves, was in prison, wrongly accused. At the end of that book, he says, you intended it for evil, but the Lord intended it for good. It is, as Hebrews says, we count it a joy to suffer with him. And so those are the two paths. And then what is the ultimate outcome of the righteous? Well, verse 5, um, number 6, I'm sorry. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God will be involved in your life. No matter what, God will be there with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And you will be forgiven. You will stand in the day of judgment as a forgiven sinner. And then you will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and welcomed to the table of the Lord. I'll leave you with this story in China. There's persecution of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there's a story of a pastor who had a family and was leading a church underground, but it was discovered. And so the police came in and got everybody in his house, broke in, took everybody outside, brought the whole village out and said, we're going to make you an example for everyone else to see. That we are, not, that we are serious, that we do not want Christianity here. And so they lined him up. And in their culture, to spit and to step on something was the biggest offense possible. And so they lined them all up, him and his family. They put their Bibles in front of them. And they said one by one, I want you to go spit on that Bible, step on it, or you will die today. And so the father crying and is murmuring, asking the Lord, forgive me, father. He went on and he didn't want to see his family perish. And, and so he went and he spit on his Bible, he stepped on it, and he moved on crying. His wife followed him. His older son followed him. His younger son followed him. And then came his younger daughter, a teenager. And she went up, and when she saw the Bibles, she bowed down, she used her shirt, and she began to clean every one of them. And she said, forgive them, Lord. That day she was put in prison. And for 10 years, 
she preached the gospel and led many to the Lord. And when she came out, her family was there to receive her. So the question for 2022 for me and for you is simple. Ask God to help you to love him more and know his love more as you pour into his word and delight in it and meditate on it day and night. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for the goodness and mercy that you have given us in Christ. Lord, you could have left us with no direction, with no instruction, no revelation, but you have brought us not only the word of God, but the word of God himself in the flesh to come to seek and to save those who were lost. Lord, we're this new year we we come to you a lament of, Lord, we need you. We, we're fighting against pandemics and death and disease and economic instability and, and, and insecurities, Father, that are beyond our comprehension and our ability. But, Father, you are the king of kings. The mountains and the hills and the cattle and everything in it belongs to you. And so we ask for your help, for your provision, and that you would turn a lament into praise and joy. As we move in full assurance that the Lord works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We ask this for every family and we commend them to you. And we pray for Pastor Mike, Lord, for his health and for Sally, that you will bring him back healthy for next week to continue to minister to us the word of God. We ask this all this in Jesus' name. Amen.